Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. 
We'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Move. As your host, Brother Africa, it's always an honor and a privilege to come into your homes this evening where we can speak to the powerful and the powerless. Today's theme is Cuba, Africa, and liberation. That's right. We're going to talk about Cuba, Africa, and liberation. And we encourage you to join us by dialing in at 323-679-0841. As always, we're in the seat. We're going to take the heat. As we define it, we're going to stand behind it. Today we have a two-part series of a three-part program where we're going to discuss Cuba, Africa, and liberation, and we can start off and do something a little differently from our normal program. We're going to have the first hour or so, we're going to have a panel discussion on Cuba. Our panelists will be representatives for organizations from the African Awareness Association, the All-African Peoples Revolutionary Party, GC, and representative member of a recent delegation that came back from Cuba and what would IFCO passes for peace, as well as we hope to have a representative from the Cuba Solidarity Movement that place that take place in the northeast area of this country, New Jersey, New York, um, Brother Ike. So those will be our panelists for today's program for the third segment. And then we can open our line up to our political panelists and to our listening audience to comment or to ask questions based upon this important issue of understanding Cuba and its importance and relationship to the world. So on that note, this the way, this is how we're going to do this program. And the second part of this um, particular program, if time allows, we'll go into the section dealing with Africa. So this is how we're going to get started with our party. And real quickly and briefly only, we're going to ask our panelists briefly just to introduce themselves, then we're going to bring in our guests. Okay, for our panelists, for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, we have with us Brother Anthony Williams. We'd like to welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings uh, to you. Uh, the fellow panelists, our guests, and uh, listening audience. Next, my sorry, name Brother is Anthony. It's good, Brother Anthony. Sorry. Yeah, I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party (GC). Objectivist Pan-Africanism: The Total Liberation and Unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Next from Brother Anthony, we're going to make our transition to Brother Haki Kamathi. He's an organizer for the African Awareness Association. Welcome, Brother Haki. Oh, thanks, <clears throat> thanks for helping me, Brother Africa. My name is Haki Kamathi Mishoki. Currently, I'm with African Awareness, and of course, my thing is all about institution building. I've been involved in struggle for a long, long time, and my focus has always been on institution building. I think that's key in terms of forging, you know, our way ahead when we, when we uh, encounter these very troubled times, uh, certainly that we're, we're fastly approaching. Also, the question in terms of organization is so, so important, 
And I think when we look at Cuba as an example, Cuba is the quintessential example in terms of what it is in terms of to have organization and its importance. And I'll close with that. All right. Thank you, Brother Haki. Following Brother Haki, and I can ask if Brother, Brother Ike is listening to my voice, please hit one, Brother Ike, to bring you on my board. If you listen to my voice, Brother Ike, please hit one. Are you there, Brother Ike? One. Okay, I, I think I have Brother Ike in my board right now. Brother Ike, I come to you, 8710. Brother Ike, we'd like to welcome Thank you to on the Moon, and can you please introduce yourself? Thank you, Brother, Brother uh, Africa. My name, my name is Ike Nahum. I'm a longtime uh, Cuba Solidarity Organizer with uh, New York. New Jersey, Cuba Sea, and the International U.S.-Cuba Normalization, uh, and I'm a retired locomotive engineer for Amtrak and a Teamsters Union member, and I'd just like to say that for over a couple of decades, I've worked very closely with uh, AAPRP and the AAPRPGC over the issue of Cuba, and I really appreciate uh, that great collaboration that I personally have done with your organizations over many years. Uh, thank you, Brother Ike. So those going to be our panelists for the first hour of speaking on Cuba. And once they have done, made their presentations and we are raising questions and issues with them, we're going to open the mic up, up to those who are listening and to our other panelists who are available. If you have any questions or comments, please just hit one, and we will acknowledge the last board number. So let's get started with our party. We're going to come back to Brother Ike. Brother Ike, we understand that we are talking about the issue of being in solidarity in Cuba and why it's important to travel to Cuba. We would like for you to give us a two or three minutes first opening remark as relates to that statement. Brother Ike. Uh Thank you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Unfortunately, uh, I have to go to an organizing meeting for a, that we're having that I do want to speak about and, and hope and know that you will get involved in next uh, spring that we're having March 11th and 12th, an international uh, U.S.-Cuba normalization conference where our entire movement uh, will get together. And one of the uh, panels we're having uh, is going to be on uh, Cuba, uh, Africa, and African-American liberation, where we'll have a, a great panel that can talk about this. Uh, I noticed when I got the email uh, for the uh, event tonight, the title Cuba, Africa, and the Truth, and the reason that people have to go to Cuba is so they can see the truth, counter the lies about the Cuban Revolution, and tell the untold story among many, although it's untold in the U.S., but not uh, untold around the world. And it's also known in many communities, especially uh, the black community in the United States, about Cuba's decisive role in the uh, African liberation struggles of the 1970s and 80s that laid the basis for uh, big advances on the African continent. And this is a tremendous story, uh, and it needs to be told. And uh, uh, the Battle of Quito Cunavale, the tremendous solidarity, 
the the unraveling of apartheid and uh and our conference will do that i know every people listening to your show uh are aware of that uh but we need to move forward on that and i look forward to uh, uh our conference and working uh to build this activity and to increase the pressure to end the blockade because the U.S. has, even though U.S. policy is isolated in the hemisphere, it's isolated around the world, the recent U.N. vote, uh, it still is carrying on and causing a lot of devastation in Cuba. So we have to step up our fight. Thank you. And, Brother Ike, can you tell us one more time how can we support the nature of the work that your organization is doing? Well, I uh, I would like you all to save the date of uh, March 10th through 12th, 2023, at the Fordham School of Law in New York. But we will also be trying an ambitious live streaming effort that there's going to be an international uh, U.S.-Cuba normalization conference where we're going to reach out to all the different fronts of fighting against the blockade, all the different uh, areas of work. We're going to educate people about the truth about Cuba and about uh, why it is a bipartisan policy in Washington, Democrats and Republicans. Biden has continued Trump's policy, but we want to expose that because we think when people hear the truth, especially in the working class and especially in the black community, uh, when they hear the truth about what Cuba is doing, uh, they will want to show solidarity, and that can increase the pressure on the Biden administration and force them to change uh, the policy, which they don't want to change. And they will, as Malcolm X said, uh, a chicken can't produce a duck egg, but they can be forced uh, to do things that they don't want to do, and that's our job. So look for our, let me give our website, us-cubanormalization, one word, dot org, us-cubanormalization dot org. Save those dates. Material is going to be coming out, and everybody can get involved. Please have your organization endorse this activity and uh, join in building it and participating in it. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Ike. And we always like to, um, to let our listeners always know that you've been a soldier in this battle for a long time, and um, when they work with you, they can learn a lot. So we thank you for all that you have done in your organization and what y'all will continue to do So we, until we end this, 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 this more illegal and racist blockades in Cuba. Thank you, Brother Ike, for your for your information. Thank you very much, and I uh, hope the rest of your program, I'm sure, will be wonderful. I'm sorry I have to leave. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Right. Bye-bye. Also, at this point in time, we'll make our transition to another panelist that we have, that we have joining us. We're going to bring in Sister Angie. She just recently came from Cuba, and she can talk a little bit about her uh, recent visit to Cuba, and she worked with IFCO, Passes for Peace, as well. But right now, Sister Angie, would you introduce yourself? Welcome to Africa on the Moon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. So, yeah, my name is Angie Langdon, and I work uh, for IFCO Pastors for Peace. Um, because of that, I've been given the opportunity uh, to see Cuba for myself most recently through the um, 
youth conference that was held between U.S. youth and uh, Cuban youth, which I will be speaking on later. Um, and part of my job at IFCO is not just uh, the social media coordination, but also the facilitation of the ELAM scholarship, which is the scholarship that the School of Latin American uh, Medicine in Cuba offers to people all over the world, but um, as well as 10 students within the U.S. to study medicine for free, um, which, you know, health, health of course, is um, vital to our society, but also the global society. So I'll be able to also speak a little bit about that and, and Cuba's impact on our global health. But I'm real excited to be here. Trisandra, I think we can start right there. This is a good starting point. When you talk to our listening audience, because we talk about Cuba and how beautiful Cuba is and all the good things you're doing for humanity. And for, for the African community and, and all feeling of and just people who live inside the border of the United States, particularly youth, who may would like to have, have, have some idea or have an aspiration to become a, a, a medical doctor. Now, how does that um, relate to the program, the medical school that comes under the banner of IFCO Pass for Peace? How does this medical school thing work? Well, you just talk a little bit about yeah. IFCO and their relationship to um, the scholarship program. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely, right? So uh, the medical school was built um, in, in 1999, and we've been uh, been able to facilitate that scholarship um, since 2001. Um, and, and the process is, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, it's a little it's a little uh, tedious as far as the application goes, but um, the the goal and the impact is to um, find young uh, students who would otherwise not have the ability to to practice medicine in the U.S. because of student loans and and um, you know access to education across the board, much less medical school, right? But um, basically, you know, we, we're looking for young um, people of color coming from communities that are, that are underserved by our nation um, who are between the ages of 18 to 25. Um, with a few, there are a few courses that they have to take and get a B average and above and a be a U.S. citizen. Um, we're looking for, for those students who have the ability and, and desire to, you know, study medicine, to study medicine in a way that uh, puts humanity at the center, that isn't just, you know, <laughs> looking at a chart and sending you on, um, but is really looking um, at, at the human condition as a, as a whole, um, it, through a whole lens, right, through a whole perspective that um, validates a person as their environment, their family, uh, everything else. And, that, and that's the training you get down. Um, in Cuba, but, but the process is going on our website, um, which is ifconews, I-F-C-O-N-E-W-S dot org, um, and we, we have a whole section about the Elam Scholarship and how to apply. Once you apply, you'll, you'll be talking to me or um, Dr. Samir Adri, who graduated from Elam in 2020, and we'll kind of bring you through that process, see if Cuba is, is a good fit for your goals in, in medicine, but we want, um, you know, people who who are really looking to um, practice medicine in a way that um, provides dignity um, to the whole experience of, of, of life, which isn't really what's received in our in our U.S. system. So um, the the first step is to to go on our website, request an application, or 
they can uh, email me at A-N-G-I-N-G-I-E at ISCO News, I-S-C-O-N-E-W-S dot org. And um, we can we can go through that process. But, um, you know, I'm I'm there every step of the way to, to get you through because we're really looking for those students who, um, you know, otherwise just, just wouldn't have the access and ability to study but have the aptitude and desire to to change lives. So um, it, it's really, uh, it's revolutionary medicine. And uh, we need that back here in the U.S. where, um, you know, so many of our, societies and, and our, our communities are, are underserved. And, um, you know, Cuba uh, endures a, a lack of resources due to the blockade, and they still are able to um, have a higher life expectancy, lower infant mortality rate. They, they get it done even um, in those conditions that are set by the blockade. So if we have people coming from those similar conditions here in the U.S., um, coming back, there, there's no way that it wouldn't change our own health outcomes um, in our own communities. Okay, thank you, Sister Angie. Angie. So what we're going to do right now, let's uh, open up. We're going to have our panelists right now. We're going to ask each one of our panelists to respond to our opening question. And the question is, what does it mean to be in solidarity, in solidarity with Cuba and why should we travel to Cuba? Right now, we're going to bring in Brother Haki from the African Awareness Association, which I also understand they have a special program coming up where they'll be taking a travel challenge to Cuba in January. So we can bring in Brother Haki right now, relax and address what does it mean to be in solidarity with Cuba and why, tra- why should we travel to Cuba? Brother Haki. Well, in a nutshell, Brother Africa, we, you know, we should be inside there with Cuba simply because, you know, when we look at the world in terms of, you know, its divisions, uh, clearly the simplest way to put it, those divisions, is as simple as this. Either the society is humane, anti-humane. We, we purport that support of those societies which are humane is in the best interest of humanity. And in saying that, we understand that Cuba has a particular niche in terms of its practice, in terms of pushing forward that which is positive, that's which is in the best interest of humanity. And then when we contrast that, and particularly with what's going on in America, then clearly there is a, 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 there's a, there's a demarcation of sorts, which says that when you look at America in terms of a critical analysis, that the things that take place in America are not good for humanity at all, not when I older. In fact, one of the things when you talk about this whole propensity in terms of uh, inhumanity, uh, when we talk about economics in society, one of the things we have very clear on, that disparity between the haves and the have-nots continues to grow. And as a result of that disparity in the society, then certainly the ability of the economy itself to grow is minimized. But it doesn't matter because the focus is on the, the, the benefits to a very small number of people in the society. So in order for that small number of people to maintain their hegemony, to maintain their power, they're willing to do any and everything, including sacrifice the economy, uh, you know, to achieve those ends. And so, therefore, when we look at Cuba in terms of in terms of its ability, in terms of taking these very uh, minute amounts of resources and to distribute them in a manner in which the overwhelming number of people of Cuba benefit from the uh, the the uh, the, dis- the uh, dissemination of those resources, that clearly Cuba sets the kind of example which is not only good for humanity in, in terms of the the usefulness in terms of sharing but also to be able to prevail in very difficult circumstances if you're willing to work together. 
Cuba is a, is a state that's willing to work together. For those reasons alone, we encourage people to go to Cuba, and we support Cuba because, you know, you know, without those examples in terms of concretely, you know, conveying the relevance in terms of those, you know, of, of socialism, uh, then certainly we may be at the, at the uh, beck and call of a, of a capitalist system which rudimentally lies consistently. So therefore, in going to Cuba, we get an opportunity to dispel a lot of these myths, a lot of these misconceptions in terms of the benefits of capitalism. Then we begin to see squarely, you know, the benefits of capitalism, and hope that, you know, we can bring it to our communities in terms of implementing, ultimately, you know, bringing it on the national scale, uh, to bring about that which is really truly needed in the context of this very, uh, 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 di- the very dire situation that we're confronted with here in American society. So we owe it to Cuba in terms of, you know, uh, its, its commitment to humanity. And for that reason alone, we support and we encourage people to go to Cuba, seek for Cuba for themselves the beauty that which is Cuba. Okay, Brother Haki, while we have you, won't you go ahead and talk about a little bit about your upcoming travel challenge to Cuba? Yeah, sure. Yeah, African Awareness, we're doing this uh, Black History Education and Cultural Travel, travel Challenge. Uh, to Cuba. Uh, this trip takes place July 23rd to, to July 30th, 2023, and it'll be leaving out of Cancun, Mexico. For additional information, we ask people, well, uh, before, prior to that, there are three cities we're going to actually visit in Cuba once we're there. We're visiting Matanza, Trinidad, and Havana. Now, <laughs> for more information, we encourage people to contact us at African Weapons Association, P.O. Box 4433, Richmond, VA, 23220, or contact us at 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-94335. And we are confident that once people get an opportunity to go to Cuba and see for themselves, <clears throat> they'll get a new understanding in terms of, you know, uh, the essential threat that Cuba poses to the U.S. government in terms of, you know, its desire to, to, to uplift humanity. So we encourage people to, to contact us, you know, uh, um, to go to Cuba and see for themselves firsthand the beauty of Cuba. And the dates of the trip? Uh, what what sure. are the dates? Of- January 23rd to January 30th, 2023. And we're leaving from Cancun, Mexico. All right, then. So you heard it. You will get a chance to go and see Cuba for yourself. But we're going to give you a little preliminary um, understanding of Cuba before you get there. So at so at this point in time, what we're going to do is make our transition to our next panelist, Brother Anthony. He's an organizer for the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party of D.C. We're going to bring Brother Anthony in, and we're going to raise the question with him. Why is it important to be in solidarity with Cuba and to travel to Cuba, Brother Anthony? Uh, we're in solid. It's important to be in solidarity with Cuba. And as a matter of fact, I would say that our relationship with Cuba goes deeper than solidarity because we're not only uh, only supportive of the the Cuban Revolution, but uh, based upon uh, the work that Cuba's done for Africa over the decades uh, since this revolution and the composition of this country, uh, of the country, we consider Cuba, uh, Cubans to be our brothers and sisters, and uh, we've had that relationship with Cuba even before the creation of the All African People's Revolutionary Party. 
uh, uh, back in uh, 1967 at the OLAS conference, uh, which uh, Kwame Ture was invited to speak, uh, we've had this special relationship with Cuba even before our existence. And the reason for that is because of his of Cuba's history, culture, and the work that has been done on behalf of Africa and African people since this revolution. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And from Brother Anthony, we go back to our Sister Angie. Sister Angie, you just mentioned that you just recently came back from Cuba. Uh, can you give us a flavor of uh, what life is like in Cuba? What were your experiences? Talk to our people, because everywhere I go, when you talk about Cuba inside the United States, people ask me, what do they do in Cuba? What do they do in Cuba? And I tell them the same thing they do here. You do here. You live like people. So, Sister Angie, come and share your experiences with us in terms of how was Cuba while you were there. What was your observations? Share some thoughts with us. Um, I mean, I tell everyone I know, that um, going to Cuba is is fundamental. Um, it, it, it's where I experienced freedom for the first time. Um, in Cuba, I mean, you're you're exactly right. <laughs> they're they're just like us, going through our their daily, you know, daily life, daily struggle, eating, you know, watching TV, just like us. But at the end of the day, they have access to healthcare, education. I mean. Everything that that we struggle um, to get by, they they have for them, right? Their housing is secure. There's there's zero homelessness. There's a hundred percent literacy rate, and you're seeing this right before your eyes, you know. And and it's um it's interesting because, or you know, what it does is dissolve this narrative. Not only um, that, that Cuba some dictatorship where people are uh, enduring human rights abuses, but Really, it, it allows you to imagine what it can be um, back in the U.S. if, if we um, organize properly and, and what it's like if, if the working class is represented, uh, you know, in, in the government or, you know, <laughs> run by the government, right? This is a, a place where um, human rights are at the center. Human <laughs> dignity is, is upheld fundamentally through its structure. And, you know, I mean, one of the coolest things I got to see was an election, um, because that's also one of the questions I get a lot is, oh, well, you know, how can there be a choice um, when, when there's not two parties, right? But you shouldn't be choosing between your human rights. Um, I, I think it, it's really interesting, you know, um, at a, an election in Cuba, you're, you're going to the polls in your neighborhood, right? The people who are running are your neighbors. They're people you know, um, and, and, and it's just a resume. <laughs> you know, it's a one-sheet piece of paper that's a resume and a picture of the person. There's not smear campaigns. There's not millions of dollars going in to make sure this candidate gets in or not, you know. It's literally um, seeing the working class in charge, and I think, um, you know, it's it's unbelievable because we are are – told over and over, you know, that you're, you're born into this, you know, that, that, um, you know, we have, we have these two people up top to vote for that, that I don't know. I don't know them and no one I know knows them, but they're supposed to represent my rights. Um, I, I think witnessing that being able to exchange, 
with uh, Cuban youth who, you know, um, get to tell the impacts of the blockade on them, you know. Um, It's really life-changing. It's revealing um, the truth that Cuba has and and the way that we can organize around things. I mean, you you posed the question earlier about, um, you know, why should we be in solidarity with Cuba and I mean, outside of the fact that Cuba, despite the despite the blockade, is in solidarity with people in the U.S. through the Elam scholarship, but through so much more. You know, I mean, Hurricane Katrina, Cuba tried to send doctors here. Uh, 9/11, Cuba tried to send doctors here. Both times, George Bush says no. Right. So, when when we're looking at you know what is our responsibility, um, it's not just oh, here's this country that is being continually punished by the blockade. It's this country that, despite the blockade, sees our humanity and fights for our humanity, even though our country deprives them. I I think one really important act to highlight is the biotech um, that's in Cuba. And one of the things that I got to learn about was the um, diabetic ulcer treatment. I know People in my family have diabetes. My friends have diabetes. There's 34 million people in the U.S. with diabetes right now. And 120,000 amputations that happen every year. People are getting their limbs, you know, cut off because we don't have preventative care. We don't have access. And when when um, people do endure an amputation, after that, there's an 80% chance that within five years, um, there their 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 life is over that they're going to die and when i think about how we don't have access to that treatment this treatment that you know stops the ulcer in its tracks you get to keep your limbs you get to keep your life um you know i'm thinking about all the impacts outside of everything else the the way that we could organize ourselves around literacy around housing around everything else but even that treatment alone that's that's my family that's your family that's everyone we know um and, and and we don't have access because our government says no. Um, outside of that, there's a lung cancer vaccine. There's COVID vaccines. I mean, I know I mentioned those two brigades to us um, for for our natural disaster for our disasters, but in, in emergency response. But Cuba, um, uh, this small island of 11 million people, is sending brigades around the world, especially in COVID. And COVID, they they sent thousands of doctors to countries all around the world to combat um, to combat this virus that literally everyone w- was afraid of. And Cuba stepped up. Not only did they send the doctors to facilitate the vaccinations, but they also created five vaccine candidates, right? One which has 94% efficacy rate, which means it's, it's just, as, um, just as, as good as the ones that we have here. And and then they created those and then sent them to the countries that the U.S. left out, right, that, that um, the, the, the West said, too bad, we can't help you, you don't have the infrastructure, and Cuba said, there's no one left behind. And when I think about how Cuba literally cares for every country, as small as you can think, <laughs> um, I, I think it's, it's definitely our responsibility to respond to that and to make sure that this uh, – that this nation is given its right to self-determination, its right to to not only exist but to continue in these um, relationships of solidarity that the U.S. doesn't want to to exist because it it shows 
just how uh, malice these sanctions, these these um, you know laws and regulations are. That they're not just laws, right? They're they're impeding on lives, including our own. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I think everyone should should go um, to see for themselves because after that you you can't you can't turn away from it. Thank you, Angie. Brother Haki, when you went to Cuba, what, what did you see? What was life like in Cuba? Again, people want to know, what do they do in Cuba? What do the people do? What would you say to that, Brother Haki, when you were in Cuba? What was life like in Cuba when you were there? How did you feel? Yeah, I, I, I have to concur with the previous speaker. Uh, I, I think that there was a sense of... Uh, there's a sense of tranquility that exists in terms of Cuba. And a lot of it has to do with the fact, you know, that Cuba does a monumental job in terms of creating institutions, which highlights the importance, you know, of uh, the dignity of human beings. In that context, when you, when you, when you walk, through, walk, walk around Cuba and you talk to the people, the kind of common kind of sereneness uh, that they convey is something quite different than American society, which is constantly when you tend to meet people, particularly those people you don't know, you tend to be on guard. You know, because you don't really, it's very difficult to trust in the context of America. And a lot of that has to do, in fact, with the institutions that we we come up under. And so, therefore, this kind of, uh, where we where we condition to see the other as the adversary, is, it probably is, 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 is part and parcel in terms of what it is to live in the context of a capitalist system. So when you go to Cuba, it's the exact opposite in terms of the mood of the people, in terms of how they go about doing things. And that willingness to help one another. I think that's very, very astounding. I, I think that one of the things is that, you know, uh, you know, in, in in the context of America, anytime you someone wants to help, you're you're you're, you're immediately suspicious, and that's unfortunate. Uh, no human society should should be in a situation where it perceives, you know, its co-citizens as somehow um, uh, capable of, of, of rendering some type of harm to you simply by virtue of, of not knowing who they are. So, so clearly, uh, I, you know, when you walk through Cuba in terms of the kind of the surrealness in terms of talking to the folks and the kinds of uh, <clears throat> and, 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 and the kindness and the kind of, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, I guess the kind of generosity in terms of generosity of spirit, which is conveyed by the Cuban people, I think it's something to behold. I think that in and of itself is going to be, uh, for a lot of people, it's going to be an eye-opener because a lot of times we have the perception that, in fact, that, you know, that, all societies are organized around, you know, the, the so-called market economy, where everything is expandable, where people are a means to an end. Uh, so when you get to a society with Cuba, which says that uh, this question in terms of markets is relevant, what is relevant is the development of its people to the highest extent possible. So when you get into a country that's, that, that elevates that, that kind of thinking, those kind of conditions, uh, then you, you, treat a, you create a people who are, who are very gentle, uh, very, very spiritual, very, um, uh, uh, very, very um, uh, kind in terms of you know how they interact not only with each other but how they interact with strangers. So clearly, you, there is a, definitely a feeling in terms of real freedom. You feel good. You can let your guard down. Um, at nighttime, there's no fear walking past somebody. At nighttime, they're going to rob you, or they're going to put a gun to your head, or they're going to put a knife to your neck. None of that stuff happens. So it was definitely uh, a, a, a different feeling. So I encourage people to go to Cuba because, you know, to experience that kind of feeling, you know, the, the ultimate freedom uh, to experience that, I think it's going to be an eye-opener for a lot of people. I think that's going to cause a lot of people to really reassess in terms of the U.S. institutions 
and how they adversely impact on the thinking of the people in the borders of, of, of the United States. Uh, so clearly I uh, concur that uh, there's certainly a sense of freedom in terms of walking through the streets of Cuba and talking to the people in Cuba. Uh, and, 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 and again, you have to credit that to the institutions of Cuba. Brother Africa? Oh, sorry for the technical difficulties. I understand that you could not hear me, but we got things straight. We'll continue to move forward, but we'll make our transition to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, we say that Cuba is a liberated zone. Explain what a liberated zone is and what has been Cuba's importance to the Pan-African movement. Certainly. Uh, Cuba is a liberated zone because uh, its people have chosen the path of socialism. Uh, they're a socialist country. Uh, and uh, socialism, uh, real briefly, is an economic system in which human beings are, 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 are the priority as opposed to finance capital, which it is under capitalism. And uh, because uh, people and human beings are the priority in a socialist society such as Cuba, uh, you see the pattern of development and attitudes among the people that Angie and Haki described. When they, uh, you know, pointed out their experiences in Cuba, and my experiences uh, uh, in Cuba have been similar, in the fact that uh, because human beings are a priority, uh, uh, there is a spirit of humanism and collectivism that you don't find in capitalist countries such as the U.S., Canada, or Britain, for example. And, uh, you know, and that's why the attitude isn't, uh, you know, it's one of uh, peace and uh, humanity as opposed to, uh, you know, you got to watch your back all the time because someone might take advantage of you. You don't get that feeling uh, when you're in Cuba, and uh, and I think that is the reason why, because uh, uh, you know the economic uh, uh, situation in Cuba requires a different attitude toward life than you'll find in capitalist countries. And uh, and uh, that's why we say uh, that Cuba is a liberated zone, because it does uh, it, it does work uh, to help other people gain their liberation. And uh, you know, and uh, you know, it's. Uh, is struggles against uh, capitalism and capitalist tendencies. And, uh, you know, even though mistakes have, uh, you know, might have been made down the road, 
that has been the dominant pattern of Cuba's development since its revolution in 1959 and why it is so hated by the U.S. government. Thank you, Nancy. And before we take our rubbish share culture break, we're going to go to Havana in, in a few minutes. But before we do that, what we're going to do right now, we're going to come back to Sister Angela. Sister Angie. Hey, Sister Angie, can you talk a little bit before we go to a break? Can you talk about what is the U.S. blockade? How does it impact not only Cuba, but also the citizens of the U.S.? Sister Angie. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, the the blockade has been going on since 1961, and it's only gotten worse, right? You had the uh, addition of the Helms-Burton Act. You have uh, acts over the years, and, and most recently you have, uh, right before Trump left office, he added 243 new measures, including uh, the travel ban, which Biden is kind of kind of reversing, but not you know not not enough to really um, make a statement. Um, you, you have, uh, and then you have the addition to the, the U.S. state sponsors of terrorism list. And when, when we say, why we say blockade, right, and, instead of an embargo, an embargo implies, oh, this is just a relationship between the U.S. And, and Cuba. But the way that the sanctions have been set up, this puts pressure on companies and banks all around the world to not interact with Cuba on, on the global trading scale, which means Cuba doesn't get access to uh, the materials it needs to, to produce these life-saving medicines. It doesn't have the access to the proper food um, for it, its population. I mean, these uh, sanctions, right? Like, like let, let's break it down. It means uh, right now if a Shipping, if a company wants to ship something to Cuba, right, um, it, it can't use any ships that have docked in the U.S. in the last six months. And if a ship docks in Cuba, it can't dock in the U.S. for the next six months. Now, you can say that's unilateral, but that means those companies um, are going to prioritize their relationship with the U.S. because of the, the cost that it is. To do um, to do trade with Cuba, right? It means um, these banks, right? If they want to process any transaction um, from with with Cuba, they face penalties, um, large fines by our government uh, just just to do to do work with Cuba. And mind you, this is not. Um, trading of missiles, grenades, or, or anything sinister. It's literally um, just the raw materials that you need to, to function in everyday life. I mean, the, the impact that it's had on Cuba to access fuel um, means that without fuel, that this isn't just transportation for, for Cubans to go back and forth to work. This is uh, fuel for the mosquito trucks to go and, and spray during dengue season, right, which which caused the dengue outbreak, right? This is um, this is fuel for, for sanitation. This is fuel um, that runs everyday life. Um, and, and this blockade, it, it not only impacts the Cuban daily life, but, you know, the fact that there's a travel ban that says, hey, you can only travel to Cuba through these 11 categories, right? That That 
already um, scares people in the U.S. from traveling. I mean, you can go. You can go. Most of us go through um, different organizations because you have to kind of validate how you're going to, what you're going to do, right, without the U.S. You know, when you, when you go through border control, they're going to ask you, what, what did you do? How did you go down there? Um, and if you don't have that itinerary, you face, you know, uh, the possibility of, of being fined yourself or, or being withheld. Um, the U.S. has banned um, use of 90% of the hotels on the island, which means it's a huge impact on tourism. You're not allowed to use your dollar um, to support any institution that uh, might uh, be seen as supportive of the Cuban government. And because of those regulations, I mean, it's had a huge impact not only on the, US, the Cuban economy, but on our abilities as U.S. citizens to travel and witness Cuba for ourselves, which, of course, is, is, um, is another tool for, for the U.S. to upkeep the narratives that they do um, about the Cuban government and about, about Cuban society. I, I think, um, you know, <laughs> I, I can't stress enough how much um, we as U.S. citizens are, are paying um, for these sanctions that don't not only cause the suffering of the island, but, but the suffering of ourselves to access not only the island, but these life-saving medicines. They also have a lung cancer vaccine, which I won't go too much in because I know we're running out of time. But, I mean, it is, um, it is a blockade on our ability to imagine a world outside of capitalism. And I think, um, you know, we have to do everything we can to reverse these, uh, these sanctions because it costs their economy $15 million a day. And, um, you know, that, that may not seem like much for our big country, but when you look at like a, a small island of 11 million people, you got to think, <laughs> what, what could Cuba do if it wasn't under this blockade? Cuba is already doing so much for the world. What could they do? If we, um, you know, did the letter writing to Biden, we uh, organized our own re resolutions, which we have one here in New York. They're they're now circulating all around the country um, to to call direct action to to this blockade that's been around. And and it's not, you know, it's not helping anyone. It's not going to. Um, it's not going to do whatever it was, you know, what, what they say it's intended to do. Um, yeah, I mean, I can go on, but um, it, it's um, it's a detriment to to our life and to our own humanity and, and the globe, to the entire world. So, thank you, Sister Angie, and to our listening audience, I'm Brother Africa. We tonight gonna be in the seat, and we're gonna take the heat because as we define it, we're gonna stand behind it. We're gonna take a revolutionary culture break right now, and if you want to know what's like in Cuba. We're going to go to Havana right now. We're going to share with you some music, some sweet music, a liberation. And when we come back, we're going to open up our phone lines where you can make your, give your views and comments to our particular panelists today as we discuss Cuba. This is Africa on the Moon. It's a project under the banner of the African Awareness Association. So right now, let's take our revolutionary culture break, and we're going to Havana. Oh, how we love Havana. Havana, Havana. Havana, oh, no, no. Hey. 
Back to Africa on the Move. I'm the host, Brother Africa. We're discussing the theme tonight Cuba, Africa, and liberation. Currently, we have with us our panelists. We have with us yeah, Brother Haki from the African Awareness Association, Brother Anthony from the All African Peoples Revolution Party GC, and we have with our sister, Sister Angie, who works with IFCO Passes for Peace. We are discussing the issue of Cuba. Uh, it's a subject that's very important and to not only to us, but to the world. But Cuba is a special place at a special time, and they are doing some type of uh, work that cannot be lost and must be respected and protected. So at this point in time, we would like to welcome everyone back. 
what we're going to do right now, we're going to go to our political panelists and open up our lines. If you have any comments or questions you'd like to ask concerning the subject matter, please dial in at 323-679-0841. And before we go to our first um, panelist and caller, we would like to share with you just a little bit of our history on this day of December 18th, back in 1946. Steve B.K., leader of the Black Country Movement in the Zanyan, South Africa, were born. You were born in 1946 on this day. We'd like to remember our and recognize our heroes and sheroes. We just want to just give that shout-out to our brother uh, BK and um, want you to remember, we can't forget about our freedom fighters. So at this point in time, let's go back to our discussion with our panelists, but we're going to open this up right now. We're going to bring in our brother, Brother Moses. He also is an organizer and work with the D.C. Coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution. We're going to bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, any questions, thoughts that you'd like to raise with our panelists today as it relates to Cuba? The Michael Jones, Brother Moses, welcome. Yes, yes, I think it's going to be a wonderful trip on uh, January 23rd through the 30th. Uh, um, I think the, the education, the political economy of Cuba sh- should be very, very uh, interesting uh, in contrast to the situation we're facing here within the USA. Um, and so it's a contrast that uh, that people m- will feel and may not know exactly where it's coming from. And um, But there is a difference in the, in the two political economies, socialism versus capitalism. And um, I think, you know, we, I um, enjoyed hearing from the, the panelists uh, their experiences. Uh, uh, I don't have any questions at this time. Thank you. Brother Moses, before we let you go, can you just say a few words about what is the D.C. Metro Coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution? The D.C. Coalition, D.C. Metropolitan Coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution is a, a multinational or multi-organizational uh, coalition. Uh, there's groups there are groups in there, individuals and groups represent people representing groups, etc. Uh, the Code Pink uh, Answer Coalition in D.C. Uh, and uh, and other members uh, work together to uh, highlight the accomplishments of the Cuban Society and uh, explain the the benefits of socialism and uh, and show solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. And this is our purpose is to um, show solidarity with the Cuban Revolution, support this Cuban Revolution. Uh, ultimately, some of us, um, uh, me and uh, I can speak for myself, um, I believe in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution up to including the need for that kind of society here in the USA and to actively lobby and uh agitating propaganda towards a new world here in the U.S. of A. So, so we have different levels of consciousness involved. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And next we'll go to 
We go to our sister Eleanor. She is also a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition supporting the Cuban Revolution. We'd like to welcome her. Sister Eleanor, any questions or statements you'll make that can make as it relates to the subject of Cuba? Sister Eleanor, welcome. I I think it's well covered this evening, and the only thing we really can say is the embargo not only harms the Cuban people, but it harms the working-class people of the United States as well. Uh, in terms of their medical advancements and, as had been mentioned, the advancements in terms of accessibility. It's not an advancement, but accessibility to education for oppressed, economically oppressed uh, persons in this country. Uh, My name is Eleanor Johnson. Thank you so much, Brother Africa, for allowing me to participate in this evening's forum, and I think I have no questions. I think that we need to use the entire program with the discussion uh, and comments of the uh, that the panelists are sharing with us and our listening audience here in the United States and abroad. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Next, we we'll go to our brother, Brother Subuk, where we will bring him in, who is a youth and an organizer. He can talk maybe a little something about. Some of the organizations he may represent and any questions and comments as relates to Cuba. Welcome, Brother Subukwe. Good evening and revolutionary greetings, uh, Brother Africa. Thank you so much for having me here tonight. And again, my name is uh, Brother Maurice. I'm a member of the Pan-African Revolutionary Socialist Party, PRHP, and also a member of Slang, Struggling, Living, and Never Giving Up. Um, I do have a question for the uh, wonderful speakers tonight. And the first uh, question have two questions, and I keep it brief. Uh, the first question: Recently, uh, Caricom um, had a a 50th anniversary on on, on uh, I believe December 14th, if I'm not mistaken. And some of the representatives that was that who were who was there were Mr. Petro or you know newly elected president of Colombia, uh, leftist president. Uh, Gustavo Petro, and then you had also uh, Mr. Lula da, uh, da Silva, newly elected president in Brazil. And my question to the panelists in relation to this, all of this, um, how do or what do they see uh, the benefits uh, going forward? Is, is this a, a growing wave of, of uh, progressive presidents um, becoming in power in South America? I'm sorry, South South America uh, uh, countries in the Caribbean included. How you know in relation to Caricom and these new elections? How how do they see this uh, benefiting Cuba going forward and other uh, progressive revolutionary socialist countries? And my second question is um, in relation to hip hop. Uh, we have a hip hop artist <laughs> named Jay Z. Here in the United States of America, who likes to wear Shea Guevara T-shirts and likes to go to Cuba and likes to rap about Cuba and also likes to portray in his lyrics that he is some sort of uh, revolutionary, uh, you know, idealistic in his head. He believes he is some type of revolutionary. And my question in regard to that, what are some real or who are some real revolutionary hip-hop musicians that that really support Cuba and that we really should take seriously. Um, 
in, in, in regards to as a, an alternative to uh, Mr. Sean Carter, Jay-Z himself. Thank you so much, and thank you for this wonderful show tonight. Long live Cuba, okay. the revolutionaries of Cuba, and the revolutionary Cuba. Thank you. Okay, brother, we want you to stay close to your phone. We'll come back to you. But I think let's try to do the first question. If I heard you correctly, you were talking about the relationship between Paracom and the ongoing movement of the progressive countries that have been electing people to the left. And what does that mean? And on that note, what we're going to do is we're going to start off first with Brother Anthony with the all African people of your party to give his general uh, response to that question. Brother Anthony. Uh, that is uh, that is a good sign, uh, in a way that uh, that uh, some uh, that uh, countries are electing uh, uh, gov- uh, governments or figures that are inclined to socialism, but uh, it's a very fluid situation. I think it might be too early to tell whether, uh, uh, you know, the duration of this trend. But I I would think that it uh, that it favors Cuba in the fact that there are uh, that that uh, that with the struggle between uh, uh, capitalism socialism, which is intensifying particularly in Central and South America, uh, that is a good sign for Cuba. That means there, uh, that, that, that there are fewer puppets for left for imperialism, uh, uh, you know, to pick on to do its dirty work. But, uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's a very fluent situation and uh you know i think it's going to um take some time to assess whether it's anything long term uh but it is a good sign for cuba in the fact that it allows uh cuba uh, uh you know uh, uh uh you know to form relations with other countries in central and south america and the caribbean uh, the leftward shift. Now, whether it's long term or not, only time will tell. And also, uh, it's uh, let's see, the imperialist countries are putting a lot of pressure and a lot of uh, financial backing behind uh, uh, pro-capitalist uh, political formations. Even in uh, in these countries, which we're uh, uh, talking about, and so it uh, is going to depend upon how well the people are organized in order to uh, advance and realize their newly gained power. Thank you, brother. Let's go to brother Haki. Brother Haki, your response. Yeah, well, <clears throat> it's 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 certainly uh, it's certainly encouraging uh, that you have these progressive uh, movements, you know, um, evolving o- around the globe, and that's certainly very, very encouraging. But one of the problems I think we have to be very, very cognizant of, and that is that when we talk about the um, 
immense power of the United States. We have to take it in this proper context. Uh, one of the things we have to understand is that when we talk about America, America is the only country in the world, in the history of the world, that can, pre- that can create money out of thin air. Doesn't have to be produced, not have to create anything, have to produce anything, just out of thin air. You want you want ten trillion dollars? Boom, no problem. It's done on the computer. It's done. So in that context, when we talk about you know these these these, these progressive uh, changes taking place around the world, one of the things we we have to be mindful of is that you know these 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 very progressive movements um, exist within the backdrop of uh, a of a, a social social political social or social political uh, situation where the masses of people are not properly educated in terms of the issues that uh that, that confront their society. In that context the level of, of, of ignorance that persists in, in these societies uh nonetheless exists in part because uh capitalism has done a very good job in terms of ensuring the the impoverishment of these nations and as a consequence the kind of money that you need in terms of educational, you know, uh uh, uh, technologies or educational programs, those kind of things that are vital in terms of the uplift of humanity are simply not there. In that context, people become vulnerable to U.S. propaganda and manipulation. So when the U.S. can spend immense amounts of money in terms of impacting elections in those countries, uh, the problem is that do we have a sufficient political education in those communities to rebuff or to reject you know, Western propaganda? That is the quintessential question. So in terms of their effectiveness at this point in history, it's just sort of too early to tell, even though I'm hopeful that, in fact, um, that these countries would, in fact, do more in terms of making sure that people understand specifically the role of imperialism in their lives and why it contributes to the suffering and, and malaise that exists in their societies. But to a large extent, we, we, we have to understand that, you know, these business organizations that work inside these com- these countries are often pro-U.S. or pro-capitalist, and so they're inclined to actually carry out the Western mandates under the guise that what they're doing is in the interest of, the, of themselves. They're not necessarily concerned about the interests of the masses of people in those countries. Uh, but it is encouraging that, in fact, at least, you know, that these kind of things are manifesting themselves. In that sense, uh, people around the world begin to see there is an alternative <laughs> uh, to capitalism. That's a good thing. Now, it's, it's an impact in terms of, in terms of Cuba. Uh, certainly, you know, uh, I mean, if I'm if remembering correctly, and Brother Sabugui can correct me if I'm wrong, but is, is Mexico part of? If Mexico is part of um, Caricom, uh President Obrador has done a very masterful job in terms of talking about importance in terms of getting up from under U.S. influences. That's major for a, a for a country like Mexico to encourage its people, to encourage that region, to encourage the world. That in order to be free, that we must disengage from America, uh, America, American power, is is great, is big, is big, because certainly when you make those kind of statements, then you, you attract the attention of some very powerful adversaries, and particularly you talk about the CIA, you know, you know what I'm saying, and so, and, and given the fact that they have deep pockets in terms of their ability, you know, to manufacture money out of thin air, means that they can create conditions which ensure that at some point. Uh, President Obrador is assassinated or something happens to him, you know, that eliminates him from the political picture, you know, in, in Mexico. Uh, but, but clearly, you know, I, I, I think that it's a good thing that this is, this is happening, and certainly I hope it continues. But, of course, a lot of us are going to depend on the, um, 
the, 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 the seriousness, you know, of the political leaderships in those countries to maintain, because in order to maintain, the obstacles are going to be great. And if you acquiesce, you know, to U.S. Uh, U.S. policy on any level, then the reality is that you're not going to see through those kind of mandates, those kind of progressive mandates you, that you want to see come into existence. So my so my response is is, is very simple: we'll wait and see. Sister Angie, Brother, sorry, oh, sorry your response to this question of um, Kara Khan, progressive governments coming to power, how, the, how does sure. that play into the relationship with Cuba and your perspective and how you, y'all view this phenomenon? Sure. I, I don't have uh, too much to add from what the other panelists have already said. Um, other than it, it is encouraging, it's helpful, and, and just to have that presence I think does um, – have an impact on on our society and and other capitalist societies that you know it, it's showing that there there is an alternative. It's not just you know it's not just Cuba or you know Venezuela. It's it's um it, it's happening and and it's going to apply pressure on the U.S. Um, hopefully <laughs> to to end these sanctions because the more uh, left presence that we have, I think there's um, more power and more pressure that we can put on. Um, the U.S. I, I mean, I will say, um, you know, when they had the Summit of the Americas, Mexico said, if Cuba's not invited, we're not going, and, and that had an impact in and of itself. So I have hope um, for the the play that we see uh, happening in in South America because I, I think uh, we're we're getting on a on the right track. That's all I have to add. Thank you, Sister Angie. Angie. Um, Panelists, in terms of the second question, one of the things we we know that the U.S. has been heavily involved in is creating all kinds of fronts and creating all kinds of situations where they are paying people to try to create chaos inside of Cuba. And even more particularly, we know that one of the things they're trying to do inside of Cuba is to split the people and split the revolution based upon race. I'm saying that in in, in in relationship to there have there has been discoveries of many hip hop artists inside of Cuba have been receiving money from the U.S. to create chaos. So in terms of this question of um, Jay Z and his relationship or his traveling to Cuba. Is that something we need to be um, conscious of in terms of everybody that goes to Cuba is not necessarily Cuba's best friend, whether they're African or not? I start off with you, Brother Anthony. Will you speak to that? Yes, uh, certainly. Um, not everybody uh, uh, that is uh, that visits Cuba is necessarily a friend of Cuba. As a matter of fact, they could be an outright enemy of Cuba. But and uh and and this is because uh let's see, there are there are different reasons why people in the US oppose the blockade uh the blockade of Cuba. 
one reason, and uh, this is a more uh, this is the more principled one, is that uh, people believe in Cubans uh, Cuba's right to self determination, and that and 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 agree with his decision to pursue the path to socialism. On the other hand, there are some people that are opposed to the blockade because they want access uh, to the uh, to, to, to that Cuban market of nearly twelve, uh, uh, nearly eleven million people. So you, uh, so, 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 not every, uh, not everybody is against the same thing. For the same sets of reasons, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, as Kwame, uh, a comrade of mine, Kwame Ture, pointed out uh, many uh, many years ago, you you have to evaluate people by what they're for, not so much what they're against. And uh, let's see, and uh, let's see, and this is where. Uh, class interests come into play because you have one a group of people that are opposed to the blockade against Cuba because they want access to that market of 12 million people. On the other hand, you have an, uh, uh, another group of people uh, that are against the blockade because they believe Cuba has the right to determine its own destiny, which it uh, which it gained through its various struggles for independence over uh, 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 over the decades, and uh, and therefore uh, they're supportive of Cubans pursuing the path to socialism. So you so 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 there are two factors in the play. And uh, keep in mind that not every uh, everybody that uh, wears a Che Guevara T-shirt or or uh, you know or likes to visit Cuba is necessarily a friend of Cuba. Just some uh, something to keep in mind. Thank you, brother Anthony, brother Haki. Your response to this question of hip-hop, and you may know any audience that you think is pro-Cuba, but just in general, your response to um, Jay-Z um, going down to Cuba, going back and forth to Cuba, and the whole hip-hop community, how do you view the potential of that that, that dynamic issue of artists and their interests inside and outside of Cuba? Your response, Brother Haki. Well, you know, uh, as as JC would say, I'm a a businessman. So, in, in other words, you know, he goes wherever the money goes. I don't think he's particularly inclined to support anything that has potential in terms of um, um, spreading that wealth around. I think he's pretty much convinced, you know, that the more the individual consumes, the better that society operates. And so, in that context. I really don't see him as being revolutionary in the sense that he supports the Cuban Revolution. I think his motivation is what Brother Anthony alluded to, is primarily in terms of 
how can you create a market in Cuba, you know, for his music? I think that's his primary motivation. I don't think he give a damn about the Cuban Revolution. Uh, and the whole thing in terms of the T-shirts, one of the things that's interesting is that you have lots of rappers who wear T-shirts. Uh, you have them wearing Malcolm X T-shirts all the time. And yet, there's some of the most reactionary uh, young people on the planet. So the fact that he wears a Chica Verde T-shirt is simply for him. It's, it's simply maybe it means he wants you to, to get some attention for himself in the final analysis to boost, you know, you know, uh, his visibility in terms of uh, Buddhism access to making money. So, uh, so I don't think he's particularly concerned about the Cuban Revolution. I don't think he particularly supports the Cuban Revolution. So we shouldn't be deceived by that. And again. When you look at their practice in terms of using me to find himself as a businessman, and you look at it in terms of the kind of things he's been doing, particularly when you think about uh, what happened to Colin Kavanaugh in terms of his ability, you know, by virtue of having a relationship with NFL to get Kavanaugh, Eric Reed, and people like that back on the field, he chose not to do so. And his position was very, very clear. His job was not to assist Kavanaugh or Eric Reed in terms of getting back into the NFL. His motivation was to make some money, pure and simple. So Jay-Z is definitely not the kind of person I would advocate in terms of, you know, uh, uh, one who would espouse what is in the best interest, you know, of the Cuban revolution. Uh, also, I think, you know, the moment, you know, when we talk about hip-hop artists, and of course they have an immense, immense influence, you know, over, over, over you know, uh, public, or, you know, over the public. Uh, one of the things, you know, I would like to see, you know, people like, you know, Lupe Fiasco, Kumo D, KRS, Chuck D, Dead Prez, Immortal Technique, now, if those brothers go to Cuba, you know, to, to perform or whatever, then I really believe those brothers have the consciousness. They have the understanding in terms of necessity of, of socialism in this world and why it is a must. And so in that, in that context, I think they understand why they must protect the Cuban revolution. So I think if they went to Cuba, I would be, I would be much more impressed and much more likely to believe that, in fact, that these brothers, in terms of their presence there, is indicative of support for the Cuban revolution. Uh, the bottom line is that I have yet, and maybe uh, brother, uh, brother Zabugwe can educate me, but I have yet to help any of, the, any of those brothers I, I enumerated to actually be invited to Cuba to perform. And, and the question that Brother Africa raised in terms of U.S. government paying your rappers to go to Cuba to perform to present that, that nonsense in terms of legitimizing nonsense in Cuba among the youth. I uh, have yet to hear of any of them inviting any of those brothers that I alluded, uh, alluded to earlier in terms of inviting them to come to Cuba. Uh, number one, I don't think those brothers are for sale. So if the U.S. government came to them and said, hey, I'll pay you $50,000 to go to Cuba to perform your song, they wouldn't do it. Number one, the U.S. wouldn't do it, simply because when you look at that catalog and kind of music they produce, this is all conscientious stuff. These brothers are very, very deep. They're, very, they're thinkers. And so they, the U.S. understands that in terms of the ability to manipulate these brothers will be very difficult to achieve. So they're not likely to approach these particular brothers and say, hey, I'm going to give you $50,000 to go to Cuba to rap your music. Because number one, keep in mind that the music they, that they espouse is very progressive, very revolutionary, and very positive. And so the U.S. doesn't want that kind of music in Cuba. They want the more reactionary, the more um, humdrum, the more, um, uh, the more uh, for lack of a better term, more esoteric kinds of music, uh, which doesn't speak to the needs and aspirations of the masses of people or the needs and aspirations uh, to humanity itself. So clearly, uh, so clearly, to Brother Sabuqui, I would say that when it comes to Jay-Z, I'm very, very suspicious. And, of course, you know, until he, his, his stance change, until he started implementing a practice which is indicative of his understanding in terms of necessity, in terms of economic change in society, I could never trust this guy. And I'll close with that.
you, Brother Haki, Sister Angie. Uh, I know your organization, IFCO, have relationships with many sectors in Cuba, in 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 in, in, in the Cuban Revolution, and I know y'all do a lot, do a lot with with the youth. What would be your understanding or your 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 take on the role of the hip hop community inside outside of Cuba, and how do you, you necessarily you know view that community as being a positive force? towards supporting the revolution. Your perspective, Sister Angie. Well, you know, when you when you go to Cuba, I'm not sure there's a space in which music isn't being played when where you don't see a a moment of people engaging in, in dance and in music. So it's a big part of uh of Cuban culture. And I mean I don't have too much to add on top of what's already been said other than you know, I, I would encourage um, the the person who, who asked the question to remain critical. Um, you know, he, he already un- <laughs> said it clear. You know, I mean, our own music has been infiltrated and, and um, designed to, to distract us into other things. And uh, the U.S. also attempted uh, to do that through um, a rapper named Yo2L last year who came out with a song uh, – Patria y Vida, and, um, you know, it, it was basically an anthem against the, the Cuban government. And, you know, uh, we know that there are there's money coming through USAID, through NED, through all of these organizations um, to create that disruption because um, the, the sanctions aren't enough, so they try to infiltrate the art and the, and the music scene um to to get into people's consciousness and say see there there are rappers that are saying hey it's not good in cuba but we got to know who who's funding those rappers who's funding this music to be produced and in the same way um be critical of of the own our own consumption of of music and and who's running the narrative and and what is the goal um of the art that we're we're interacting with um you know, I mean, I, I the same. I, I don't trust a, an opinion of a billionaire very often, so I, I would use that as my rule of thumb. Um, and you know, I mean, you see Che shirts everywhere when when people haven't uh, done the reading or or they they're not even sure. You know, the impact that these um, images have had uh, on revolutions around the world, and so. Um, you know, I, I think looking closer in on uh, on when when the U.S. says they're giving humanitarian aid, what does that mean? You know, that means looking up what is USAID and how how does it operate in Cuba to try to uh, infiltrate their their art and music and and even their social media uh, to try to you know hijack these spaces and and um, try to you know uh, create create dissent with, within Cuba. I mean, it, it, it isn't working. It hasn't worked. Thank, thankfully, because of the access that Cuba has to education, their entire population is one of the most educated populations in the world. And uh, it's unfortunate we don't have that same um, access here um, because that, that produces our, our uncritical lens at, at what we're being subjected to constantly. So, you know, I, I mean... I think looking at um, at art and music critically is is key um, in in what you're allowing your mind to to take in and, and to believe. 
And that's that's really all I have to add on top of what everyone else has said. Sister Angie, when you was in Cuba and based upon your understanding of this Cuban system, one of the narratives in the West and particularly the US is that Cuba is not a democracy. It's a dictatorship that people can't think. Um, they you know, they have no elections. What would you say to how would you respond to that uh, misguided uh, narrative from Cuba. I mean, <laughs> earlier I, I spoke of the election I witnessed, where you know it's it's a one-page resume. It's it's very clear who the candidates are. You know them, so you don't you you probably don't need to look too close at that piece of paper. But I mean, here when you have um, social media running smear campaigns constantly, using data to target. Um, Certain people who don't have a an opinion one way or the one way or the other, and they're using that uh, platform to sway people's awareness, knowing that people here can't read um, a majority of the time. Uh, that that most people in in the U.S. have a uh, have a reading level of a 12 year old, and and that's not to say anything about these our our own population, but it's about how um, critical we can engage in politics in our own right. And in Cuba, everyone's educated. They're they're able to make an informed decision. When we look at um, also the Families Code, right? That's an important uh, document. It it ensures the the rights of um, of of women, of the elderly, of, of queer people, in, and of children. Children's rights is something that I don't even know if that's ever been addressed um, in the U.S. You know, at least lately, and um, you know that family code, which represents the rights of everyone in Cuba, was was drafted and and discussed in town halls and meetings for three years, and that means they they listened and documented everyone's opinions. Um, they went back and redrafted and redrafted until they had a document that they felt uh, represented the will and the desire of everyone on the island. That's the opposite of what we encountered here in the U.S. Um, instead, we have voter suppression laws where you can't get a cup of water in line, where you, um, you know, can't vote. You, you know, if, if you've ever been criminalized, if you, um, you know, if you don't have the right papers or documents, um, even if you're working for this country, um, you know, it, here in the U.S., we do everything we can to make sure someone can't vote. In the in Cuba, they they hold elections on on Sundays when people can go, and even if you are working. You can excuse yourself from work, go vote, and come back. I mean, I don't know um, an, any other way that democracy can be upheld other than ensuring your voice and ensure, ensuring your vote. Um, it, it's really astounding um, the, the amount that Cuba and, and the, the Cuban government goes through to make sure that, that the rights and the voice of the people is being upheld and heard. It's literally the opposite. You know, we're we're given the constant non-choice between two candidates that uh, make us fight over rights that, after four years, aren't even discussed. You know, because it's on to the next campaign cycle. In in Cuba, they're going to take their time to make sure they're stepping in the right direction. And um, I, I think it's a perfect example of how democracy can be and should be upheld. Thank you, my sister, brother, brother Haki, and come back to you for a second. 
you know, let's talk a little bit about this criminal, illegal, immoral act that we call the U.S. blockade. It's really a crime against humanity. But in terms of politically, looking at the political system here, are the politicians here a and abide in a, in a, I would say, in a criminal act by trying to assassinate, starve out, deny people the right to exist? What do you say to the, what do you say to the politicians here? who continue to uphold support in humane, racist, unjust policies. They are participating in crime within itself. Just looking at the nature and the harm and the damage that this blockade continues to inflict, not only just on Cuba and Cuban people, but people around the world. Your response on this political system here in the United States, Brother Haki, and the crimes they continue to support and commit. There is, there is no question uh, U.S. politicians are complicitous in crimes against humanity throughout the world, in particular when we talk about Cuba. Uh, there is no question about that, Brother Africa. Uh, so the problem becomes, becomes one of, ones of criminality. Unfortunately, in the context of American society, when you start talking about criminality, uh, what happens is that in the context of the capitalist system, uh, capitalism tends to take the brunt you know, of that allegation. In other words, uh, you know, to, to, if you're making money, then nothing is perceived as truly criminal. In that context, the kind of criminality that they engage in routinely uh, is excused, conveniently excused, because you have a system in place which is in itself criminal. Uh, so clearly, uh, uh, Brother Africa, I think that, you know, one of the things that if we, you know, uh, I think the question you're alluding to is that what, what can we do in terms of impacting on the, uh, the, the, the lack of moral consciousness that exists among our political leadership? The problem is that it's one of opportunism, and I think one of the things that when you start talking about U.S. politicians, at the heart of it is opportunism, whereas Democrats and Republicans won't admit it. The bottom line is that uh, politics is a gateway to making immense wealth, and they're not going to acknowledge that. But clearly, there's a lot of money to be made. But in order to make that money, you must play by rules of the game, and part of rules of the game is not to be perceived as somehow an outsider. In other words, those measures or those things that the U.S. engage in that are criminal, as long as you go along with those things, then the opportunity of making money actually is increases. So when we talk about, for instance, that we talk about the situation in Russia and Ukraine, and we talk about the funding, you know, of Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian uh, military, and we talk about the tens of the, the millions of people who have lost their lives as a result of that conflict, the U.S. is directly implicated in terms of loss of those lives. But again, because we're talking about a capitalist system and it's all about capitalism, it's all about the benefit of a few at the expense of the many, then the kind of criminality that they engage in is routinely dismissed because, in other words, in their minds, there's money to be made. Unfortunately, in the minds of the masses of people who adopt this capitalist mindset, it's all about the bottom line. It's all about making the money. In that context, the, pop- the population at large, most of us are complicitous in terms of going along with we, what we essentially know is a, is a criminal regime. Uh, here's the thing. People will say, well, the masses of people are ill-educated. They don't understand. They don't know. Now, to make that argument across the board, I think, is somewhat specious because I think the bottom line is that when you talk about specifically class, there are lots and lots of people in American society, specifically those who are, quote, middle class, uh, those who are college-educated, who understand clearly what's going on, who see it in their interest in terms of U.S. foreign policy being, being in their interest. 
And so the question in terms of criminality is a very difficult question to, to for mass of the people to get their head around. Because all the, uh, to address the criminality of the United States government, then you've got to look at the criminality that you, yourself, that you yourself engage in. People are reluctant to engage in that kind of self-critique because they don't want to believe that the heart of hearts that they're just as criminal-minded as the people who actually in, enact these criminal policies. So it's a very difficult, it's a very difficult situation, Brother Africa. But clearly, you know, uh, you know, the, the bottom line is that this, this, this criminality that you alluded to is not going to go anywhere. In fact, as capitalism deconstructs, as the desperation among the people heightens, uh, the ability to make money also decreases, which means that in order to get the availability of money that does exist, then one has to play ball even harder. So to play ball even harder means that you go along with everything the U.S. does. It doesn't matter. And when you look at the situation in Cuba and you talk about the hardship being imposed upon, upon Cuba, everyone in the world knows, even in terms of the U.N. mandates, that what is essentially transpiring is criminal. There is no two ways about it. If, Russia, if, if Cuba decided that they want the military to attack the United States, given the, 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 the economic attacks on their nation, they would be legally justified in doing so. That is U.N. law. That is international law. That's understood. Uh, so this criminality you know, certainly has to be challenged. But the problem is that, you know, until we educate ourselves to understand, you know, not only in terms of the criminality that's implicit in U.S. foreign policy, but understand that there's some sacrifices that must be made in terms of bringing about a redress or fundamental change in terms of this criminal foreign policy, nothing is going to change. And that's the reality. So I close by simply saying, Brother Africa, you're absolutely correct. Politicians are complicit in terms of the, uh, the criminality uh, of U.S. foreign policy. There's no question about it. Thank you, Brother Haki and Brother Anthony. What do we say to these damn African politicians? All the politicians and the history that preceded, preceded them before they could even acquire such a position, they should be ashamed of themselves. What do we say to these corrupt African politicians, Brother Anthony? And what can we do? One of the things about putting it into the blockade, also we definitely want to find a way or address the issues how do we create conditions inside the U.S. to um, force these um, policymakers to take Cuba name off of the terrorist We know Cuba has never done any harmful thing to anyone or anybody. Talk to me, Brother Anthony. Certainly. Uh, we have to- we have to get better organized as a people. And what I mean by that is that we cannot continue to blindly vote Democratic or Republican as we have done uh, since since, uh, the 14th Amendment was passed, which gave us the right to vote. And uh, that has been nearly uh, 100 and, uh, 165 years or so. We have either voted Republican or Democrat. And uh, we have not uh, done the hard work of forming our own political, independent political organization. There have been attempts to do so, but they've been crushed by uh, by the ruling bourgeoisie. 
And uh, so it's been difficult. But uh, that is the step we must take. Get out the vote campaigns are, are inadequate. They're start, but they're inadequate. And uh, we have to be about the hard work of forming our own uh, independent political organizations uh that don't owe uh, that don't owe a dime to either the democratic or republican duopoly that currently governs the US and i want to add something uh, add a point to what sister Angie said uh earlier uh not only do uh do, do cubans get sunday so uh uh you know to vote so that they can participate but changes to their uh uh to their government document to their constitution are even discussed in the workplace if necessary so that everybody has a chance to participate in uh, in making the rules that govern society and uh, that's a hell of a lot more democratic than the U.S. has ever been. Uh, because in the U.S., a lot of uh, the legislation uh, is discussed behind closed doors and in, uh, in secret meetings and whatnot. And uh, the people do not have a chance to vote on it. They only have a chance to pick the people that'll make the decision for them. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, one of the things uh, that are factor in terms of education level, that is because of capitalism. Uh, in a society where human beings are a priority, uh, people are, hedge, are, are have access to education to the high, at the highest degree possible. Now you're not going to have 100% literacy ever, ever, but you can get close to it if uh, if uh, human beings are made a priority instead of finance capital. And I'll close with that unless there uh unless uh there's another uh, follow up question to this issue. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, we're gonna go to Sister Angie. Can you tell our listening audience based upon um if code goals and objectives in terms of maybe what are some of the things you think the people can do here? to create conditions to put an end to this U.S. illegal and more racist blockade. What can we do? The people may want to know, what can they do? What would you say to them, Sister Angie? Yeah, I mean, I think um, getting people activated, uh, like the other panelists have pointed out, getting people organized um, is key, not only to our own success, but, but to ending the blockade against Cuba. So 
that that um, seems like a large task, but there are things that that we can do. It, it is um, you know as much as listening to radio shows like this, going to uh, there's there's always a, a million well not a million but there's a lot of panels out there for for you to participate in discussion and, and get informed uh, more about Cuba and and their role in the world and, and their role in our own politics. Um, but, but concrete actions, I mean, uh, writing letters to, to Biden, writing to letters on your city council, getting a um, resolution started in your city and, and getting people uh, informed of, of um, the, the impact not only that the blockade has on Cuba, but on ourselves. Um, joining Cuba Solidarity. There's Cuba Solidarity uh, across across the U.S. I mean, U.S. Uh, you know, IFCO is one. Uh, African Awareness Association, y'all are another. There's uh, lots of us out there, and and there's the opportunity to, for for anyone to to join in and, and be a part of the conversation and be part of these communities um, that are that are doing the work, that are participating in protests um, and doing actions. To, to get people informed. Um, it is our responsibility as citizens of this country to, to call our, our government and get them in line um, with the rest of the world. We know every year the UN votes um, on, on the blockade, on these sanctions, and over and over again, the rest of the world gets to the mic and says, Cuba has sent doctors, Cuba has sent vaccines, Cuba has sent this kind of relief um, for us, and that these sanctions are inhumane and we hear the voice of the world and again uh, over and over just uh, two votes against the U.S. and Israel for the past 30 years um, and I, I think um, more concretely you know it's it's educating yourself about about the revolution about what's going on in Cuba the impact that our government has globally and um, getting getting involved in, in Cuba solidarity and, and ultimately um, if not first visiting Cuba for yourself, because when you speak on your own experience of uh, being there and, and witnessing it for yourself, people tend to listen a little bit, a little bit better and a little bit harder on, um, on what you have to say. So I think visiting there, creating those relationships with our um, Cuban, Cuban brother and sisters is, is key um, to, to joining the, the solidarity and, and um, really getting involved in the many organizations across the U.S. Uh, I think there's a there's a, a list there's the National Network on Cuba uh, that is a good starting place to find other organizations um, that are involved currently. And of course, it's not a complete list, but it might be a good starting place to finding uh, solidarity organizations in in your own neighborhood because. It is daunting, um, but you know the the key is that we're not doing it alone. And and Cuba's the number one example of how to get get involved in the collective um, orgs that that we have uh, all over the U.S. Brother Anthony, yes. What does your organization advocate in terms of how people can put an end 
to this illegal, immoral, unjust, and racist blockade against Cuba. Okay. Well, then, uh, uh, well, let's see. Uh, one, uh, one is to join an organization that is legitimately fighting for people's liberation. And uh, this blockade against Cuba is a form of oppression, in a sense, because it does not allow, enable us uh, to, it, 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 it uh, doesn't allow us to visit our brothers and sisters in Cuba. And, uh, and so it infringes on our right to travel, in a sense. And that is one of the ways in which the the, the blockade of uh, Cuba affects us directly, and also uh, and also it imposes restrictions on how we can allocate our limited resources. Uh, for example, uh, the, uh, one uh, one aspect of the blockade is there is a limit on how much money can be sent to Cuba by an individual in the U.S. So it, uh, so it, it interferes with our right to allocate our resources the way we want to at an individual, at an individual and organizational level. And uh, let's see, and uh, we must join an organization that is going to intensify the, uh, uh, the fight against human exploitation, world imperialism, and any other form uh, of exploitation by one human being by another by all means necessary. But we, but as a as a first step, we must get organized and politically educated, so we know who our enemy is, and we're we're prepared to deal with our enemy on whatever level uh, it decides to take the fight to us. But but the first step is permanent political organization. Brother Haki, what is your recommendation, your organization's suggestion on what can be done to help put an end to this blockade? Well, I, I think a combination of, of education, I think, is certainly key, but I also think organized boycotts. I think if we could organize boycotts on a mass level, uh, you know, throughout the country, I think uh, in the context of capitalism, you know, uh, money uh, money speaks. So if we can imperil or cripple uh, the the corporate America, then we have some say in terms of bringing about a change that policy. Uh, the question in terms of you know the logistics around organizing a a, a you know a boycott in terms of a uh, you know, which industry is the target of the extent of the boycott and the duration of the boycott. If we can iron those things, those considerations out, I think those things will be very, very effective in terms of bringing an end to this boycott 
and uh, into uh, uh, on Cuba. Uh, the reality is that when we talk about the loss of economic earnings uh, to corporate America, it's immense. In that context, there is a desire among many in the corporate world, you know, to have trade with Cuba because they see everything in terms of dollars and cents. So we can go sort of lend them a hand by uh, a, a, a mass boycott throughout this country targeting specific, specific industries. I think that will go a long way in terms of bringing an end to the immoral and illegal blockade that's currently crippling uh, Cuba. Thank you, Brother Haiti, and to our listening audience, this is Africa on the Moon. I'm Brother Africa. We're in the seat. We're going to take the heat as we define it. We stand behind it. We're going to take a revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we're going to be doing our closing remarks and closing out. As we close out, we're going to ask our panelists and those who are still with us on the board, we're going to ask you to do two things. One, we're going to ask you to, again, state the position on why people should travel to Cuba. And two, we want you to send a special message to the Cuban people to let them know that they are not alone, they are not isolated, and we are with them. We're going to give you that opportunity when we return back. This is Africa on the Moon. Pero yo mi suerte ya, Juan Canamera, 
de un pesar profundo entre las penas sin nombre yo sé de un pesar profundo entre las penas sin nombre la esclavitud de los hombres es la gran pena del Back to Africa on the Moon. I'm Brother Africa, and we're speaking on a three-part series: Cuba, Africa, and liberation. Let me just make a few announcements, and then we're going to be uh, making our final closing remarks and statements for today's program. Again, we'd like to let everyone know that Africa on the Moon, in collaboration with the African Awareness Association. We'll be organizing a travel challenge to Cuba from January the 23rd to the 30th, 2023. If you have not reserved your seats, please email the African Awareness Association at the email African Awareness Association 2 at gmail.com or you can call 804-549-7492 or 202. 7149435. This is a chance of a lifetime where you can come and see Cuba for yourself. And we're going on to the ideal that Dr. King once stated, 
any unjust law shall not be um, supported. We're going to break the blockade, and we have every right to travel and see our brothers and sisters. So come and join us. Act now, and let's make that move right now. Also, the station, and under the banner of the African Women's Association, would like to help our listeners and supporters to email us and let us know um, that you are a supporter of this particular program and the station by emailing us at Africa on the Move, the number two at gmail.com. Africa on the Move two at gmail.com. We need to know so we can have direct access to you so we can communicate important information to you in a timely basis. And last not least, like always, we cannot be no more effective than the participation and the cooperation of our people, as we say, the people. Therefore, we are calling on your support. There are many activities and programs we're engaged in. We need your support. If you'd like to show your love and make a um, send a gift to us, you can do that by sending it to Africa Awareness Association, P.O. Box 4433, Richmond, Virginia, 23220. Or if you want to do it another way, you can cash up us at dollar sign, capital L, small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, small b. Whereas their economic dependency, there can be no freedom. So we need the people to help build this institution. This is an institution for you. We come to give you information so that you can use it as a tool for liberation. So support us, support us cause. Let's come on the trip. Let's not be ungrateful to the Cuban people and start going there and thanking them for all they have done and continue to do for Africa and Africa people. Now, in closing out for tonight, we will ask our participants tonight to do two things, to make a statement on why people should go to Cuba, but last and most important, we want the Cuban people to know that they are not alone. We want the Cuban, the Cuban government to know that we are in solidarity with all that they have done, been doing for humanity. And we'd like to use a few words directly to the people in terms of letting them know that you, they are not alone and how much you appreciate, appreciate the sacrifices they continue to make for Africa, African people, all humanity. So we're going to start off right now with uh, Brother Moses from the D.C. Metro Coalition in, in support of the Cuban Revolution. You'll find a statement, Brother Moses, in terms of why should the people come to Cuba and help break this so-called, this so-called travel ban, why at the same time you can share some crazy words to the Cuban people let them know they are not alone. Brother Moses, the mic is yours. Yes, I appeal to the revolutionaries, those progressive people who are trying to stay abreast with the politics of the day and history as it unfolds, and to be on the side of the the uh, oppressed and the exploited, and to be trying to overcome this system of exploitation. And Cuba is is right in that pathway. It's part of that movement. Uh, you want to reinforce yourself. You want to build yourself up. You want you want positive affirmation of your beliefs. Then Cuba is the place. And uh, I think you know we we uh, we need to to 
politicize and 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 tell people as many people as possible about Cuba, and uh, because we need to transform this place, and, and Cuba is an example of what we need, what we should be about. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Next, we'll go to Brother. We'll go to Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice. Same question: Why we should travel to Cuba and break this so-called unjust embargo at same time? If you're going to speak, when you speak to the Cuban people, to let them know they are not alone, what would you say, Brother Maurice? The mic is yours. Thank you, Brother Africa. And I would say to revolutionary, if you're if you're a person of humanism, if you're a person of love, if you're a person for freedom. If you're a person for liberation, if you're a person for for children, long-living children, women, the workers, if you're a person of liberation, those we, we it should be a mass exodus of revolutionaries who who call them call themselves a revolutionary or who saw an action of a revolutionary who love their people should be floating flying at uh, Cuba. We should be going to Cuba left and right so we can learn how they how they operate. Under a human humanistic system, not a capitalistic system, not an animalistic system, not a conquer all, not 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 be conquered or be oppressed or be exploited. We need to be going to Cuba at, at, by the masses of numbers to understand how they operate under a, a, a scientific socialist system, um, a, a just a justice for all economic. System, not this what not this uh, bourgeois system we have, a sporting system that we have here. And last but not least, I would say to the Cuba, Cuban people, continue to fight to protect Cuba. Continue to be example, youth at, in Cuba. Please continue to be example of a revolutionary for your country, so we can become better revolutionaries over here for our country, our mother Africa, and for and into into any oppressed people of a country, so they can learn how to become stronger revolutionaries. Thank you so much, Brother Anthony. I'm, I'm happy that you're feeling better. Long live revolutionaries. Thank you for my name, Sabukwe. Peace, brother. Long live the revolution. Right. Thank you, Brother Sabukwe. Next, we'll go to our Sister Angie for IFCO Passes for Peace. Sister Angie, IFCO have a long history of traveling and breaking the travel ban. How do y'all do this? What would you say to the people who um what would you say to the people in Cuba? Let them know they are not alone. At the same time, again also share with us how we can support the work of IFCO and Pastors for Peace. The mic is yours, Sister Angie. Yeah, thank you. Um again, I mean I think traveling to Cuba is something that we all owe ourselves as as the working class, um, once you get down there, um, not only can you witness the direct impact that these sanctions have on Cuba, but you can see the model of what we can bring back. I mean, the the models around education, the models around health, um, housing, how we can take that and organize our own communities, um, of course, differently because we have different structures, but it's an example uh, that you yourself, as a as a person listening to this show, that uh, is committed to these revolutionary values, deserve. Um, because once you see it, they they can't take that experience away from you. And that's why it's so vital um, to get there. However, it is through 
through, um, you know, through your delegation that's happening in January um, with us on our caravans that happen every summer. Um, again, visiting our, our website, ifsonews.org, um, to see more about that. But um, really getting down there is, is key to, to cementing your belief in what we can do in our own country. Um, as far as, you know, addressing my, my Cuban friends and, and family, um, there, there's nothing I won't do, um, myself or, or if so, as, as an organization, um, to end this blockade and, and to make sure and protect this precious um, example that we have that leads the way um, in how we can conduct ourselves as, as a nation and in a world. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep having every conversation I can have with everyone I see on the street about what Cuba is doing for the world. And um, they can't shut me up <laughs> is what I'm going to say. Thank you for having me. Um, it's been, a, it's been great. We thank you, sir, for continuing to fight because when you fight, that make us fight harder because you are the shining example. You and our people in Cuba, we thank you for your contribution to today's program. And just spread the word. They can hear this program every Sunday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, Africa on the Moon. Let's build this institution. They have created this, 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 this institution where it become a, 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 a vehicle. It will be so powerful that when it speaks, it will have a great impact on moving that people forward. We thank you again for your participation tonight and your organization, IFCO, and Passes for Peace. We love you all. Next, we go to Sister Eleanor. In your closing remarks, Sister Eleanor, will you make, give a statement on why we should travel to Cuba and break the so-called travel ban, and at the same time, um, say a few positive words to the, to the Cuban people. What is that you'd like to say to them? The mic is yours, Sister Eleanor. Good evening again to our listening audience and our panelists and special guests. I tell you, you know the 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 Reality is that the reason uh, we should travel to Cuba is the same reason that um, um, basically the reason for traveling to Cuba right now is to give everyone an opportunity to be with their neighbors and to know what a radical difference in terms of working people and their quality of life is just 90 miles away in spite of this um, outrageous boycott. And uh, we will soon be having the 60th anniversary of the boycott. And it's ridiculous. The Cuban people share medicine, as you said earlier. They send doctors, the U.S. sends guns and weaponry. And the reason to travel and visit the Cuban people right now is to take you away from the U.S. proxy war against Russia, to give you an opportunity to see something clearly, um, to stand in solidarity with the Cuban, Venezuelan, and Nicaraguan people, to stand in solidarity with democracy, and to stand in solidarity with humanity and in the environment. Because right now, Mother Earth is calling out for our help, and the Cuban people are engaged in organic farming and other activities 
that we rarely have an opportunity to experience on such a large scale as you do in Cuba. So with that, um, I would just like to say good evening to everyone and have a wonderful week. And remember, uh, Mother Earth needs our help and that we stand strong with women. That's a, a comment I forgot, that in this country we're having a serious problem on the coronavirus with uh, violence against women. And uh, um, when you stand with one billion women, one in four women living today, women and children today will be assaulted in their lifetime. But Cuba seems to have addressed that issue and to have dealt with the misogyny sexism and and that we suffer from here doesn't mean that it's a completely resolved problem, but it's not something that is accepted. Like when we talked about music and the arts, we talked about rap music, but Cuba, none of it is as foul as some of the music that we hear here. This beautiful art has been exploited here, Uh, hip-hop you know, uh, with the capital H, I P hyphen, H O P, and exploited. But in Cuba, you'll have an opportunity to experience the arts, the music, the phenomena of the Afrocentric experience that the slaves bought to the Americas. So there's so many things to say. It's like poetry, you know, it, it can never end. But with that in mind, again, good night, Brother Africa. Good night, everyone. And Great Sister show. Eleanor, Sister Eleanor, we don't want you to yes. go nowhere. We don't want our listeners not to go nowhere because we got a special way we're going to end the show tonight. And we want you to be here. Don't you go nowhere. You stay put. Okay? Okay. Yeah. I shall. Okay. Brother, we're going to know to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, your response to why we should travel to Cuba and your special message to the Cuban people. Brother Anthony. Certainly. Uh, We should travel to Cuba because we have a right to do so. We have a right to visit our brothers and sisters in Cuba and and show support of the progress they've made in their revolution and to thank them for the the contributions they've made to Africa and all of humanity since their revolution. And uh, my my message to to the Cuban people is that indeed you are not alone. As the the vote in the UN showed, you know you're not alone, and uh, we uh, we we stand with you in your right to self determination, and the right to determine the economic system that best uh, fits you and your people, and we stand with you against all manifestations of exploitation in the world. Thanks. And 
Brother Anthony, how can they find out more about your organization, All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC? Okay. Uh, they can find out more about the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, by either visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org, or calling us at 202-246-4896. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And next, we'll go to Brother Haki of the African Awareness Association. Brother Haki, why should they travel to Cuba? And your special message to the Cuban people. Yeah, Brother, yeah, brother Africa. Well, prior to, to answering those questions, I just want to do a shout-out to Brother Matula Shakur, who was released from prison finally. He's one of the great freedom fighters, uh, you know, has recently released from prison. So we want to acknowledge this release, and, 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 and we're grateful and so grateful that he's finally back home after enduring, you know, decades and decades of incarceration, uh, you know, because of his love of his people. Also, let me just say uh, to Sister Eleanor, happy birthday, Sister Eleanor. I didn't, we didn't forget you. All right, now, answer your question, Brother. Uh, Brother Haki, Brother Haki, let me stop yeah. you for a second because that was a surprise, and since you mentioned we all won't say <laughs> we won't share this message with Sister Eleanor. Let's take pause for a call for what is called or our dear Sister Eleanor. We love you. We just want to say this to you, Sister Eleanor. <laughs> Hello. I think we may have lost our sister, but anyway, we will go back to Brother Haki. Brother Haki, we'll come back what to happened? you. And you can, can you hear me, yes. Brother Africa? Yes, we can hear you there, Sister Eleanor. Thank yes. you so much. Uh, thank you all so much. And uh, it's a wonderful sentiment, and I just thank you so much. As I sit here and uh, continue to recover, I just want to say thank you 
That was beautiful. Thank yeah, you very yeah. much. Yes, certainly being truthful, and we um, we don't know why they can't have a day they would be a world celebration in your name, but we're going to work on that, Sister Eleanor. How about that? Yeah, yeah, we can work on that, but remember, we got to keep working on organizing and uniting. You know, I think, uh, just say this, that uh, uh, when we had our Tuesday election, and we saw what was happening in Georgia and what a narrow race it was. We saw how important voting was. And you talked about voting in Cuba and in the elections. And that's something that was really worth celebrating because we are facing fascism, not only in this country, but in numerous other countries around the world. And the people held strong. But there's a narrow, it was a, by a very narrow margin. Millions of people are confused by this authoritarian culture and misinformation. So we see how we need to go forward. And the, uh, only the 11th African-American ever was sent to the U.S. Senate. And that's uh, uh, outrageous and phenomenal of a of a nation that accepts so many from so many places and their acceptance is based on the African-American struggle and amendments that we have made to the Constitution through our political efforts. And so many died for the right to vote in this country. Cuba had a revolution and the people gained the right to vote we have to have that right reaffirmed by the U.S. Congress. What What's going on? Something's wrong. And uh, so I just want to thank you for thinking of me on my birthday, December 18th. You know, that's a wonderful thing. And uh, next Sunday is Christmas. And uh, just thank you. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you to all the panelists and to you, Brother Africa. And again, thank you to our guests and their work. I got you, my sister, with much love. Happy birthday. We will continue our final thoughts with Brother Haki. We're coming back to you, Brother Haki. Your final thoughts on why we should travel to Cuba your message to the people, and again, talk about the upcoming trip. The mic is yours, Brother Hackey. Yeah, well, you know, the, the you know, it's important that people understand that, you know, we're in the, in the throes of history. Uh, there's many changes, many tumultuous changes that are taking place in American society. And a lot of the changes doesn't bode well for humanity. So we need to have some understanding in terms of a different reality. Cuba also has an understanding of a different reality. So by going there, we get to see first and fo- first and foremost what is possible. Uh, if it's possible in Cuba, then it's possible here as well. So by seeing that example concretely, then I certainly hope it would empower people to understand, you know, with just some determination, some grit, some might, some, uh, some desire to see legitimate change, that we will work toward it. And so Cuba sort of serves that 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 serves sort of as a catalyst in terms of you know, um, spurring certain kinds of uh, uh, progressive energies, some kind of revolutionary energies in us that make it possible for us to achieve what we so desperately need in terms of 
freedom and humanity in the society. Now, the message to the Cuban people is, is, is very, very clear. Uh, you know, one of the things when we look at the perseverance and the tenacity, you know, of the Cuban people against, you know, the, the criminal activities of, of this uh, blockade implemented by the U.S., we look at it in terms of their ability to withstand uh, uh, very difficult situations, uh, and but yet to maintain a sense of grace and sense of purpose, a sense of love, despite all of that, then Cuban people are truly exceptional people. And for that, you know, we thank you. Uh, you we thank you for being an example in terms of, what, you know, what the world could be. We thank you in terms of your practice. We thank you in terms of your outlook and that your desire to elevate humanity to a point in which, you know, uh, all human beings are worthy, all human beings count, uh, all human beings should be acknowledged, uh, to innovate and to push and to endorse those that kind of, sentiment as it relates to the human condition is something that's, that's indescribable. So we love you very much. We respect you very much. And we, and, uh, you know, we, we, and hopefully we'll, we'll get more and more people to come to Cuba the first time and show our love and gratitude to the Cuban people. And I close with that. And information quickly, Brother Hackey, again on the trip. Sure. The African Awareness Association is Black History, Education, and Cultural Travel Challenge to Cuba. This will take place January 23rd to the 30th, 2023. Now, while in Cuba, we'll be visiting three cities, Montanza, Trinidad, and Havana. Now, for more information, please contact us at African Awareness Association, P.O. Box 4433, Richmond, VA, 23222, or contact us by phone at code 804-549-7492 or code 202-714-9435. Or go to Af- or, or email us at AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. And one quick correction, Brother Haki, the zip code should be 23220. That's PO okay, Box 4433. Yeah, PO Box 4433. Which was the change? 23220. And if you want to send a gift or a donation, you can also cash app it. Cash app? Sure. Capital L. Small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, and small b. It will be greatly appreciated. We need your work. We need your contribution. We need you to come and join us. We ask, we ask you to act now. Get that pen on out. Go to the computer and correspond with us. Like always, this has been Africa on the Move. It's a community project program under the African Awareness Association. We come on every Sunday evening. From 7 to 9, 7 to 9 p.m. And we ask you to spread the word. If you want to help Cuba, you can help Cuba by helping us, help us spread the word. Push the word that have you heard? After on the move. That's the radio station that you need to listen to. If you do that, we'd be greatly appreciated. Until next time, like always, the best way we can help Cuba and the people is to be organized. The best way we can help Cuba and our people is African people from the from the Pan African disaster, we need to fight for Pan Africanism. Pan Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa and scientific socialism. With that strength, with that objective, with that power behind us, we'd be in a better shape to ensure Cuba get the justice that it deserves. Until next time, we're gonna to strive to go forward Apple. We may not give you what you want, but we do our best to give you what you need. 
Not only does freedom, people need to be free and liberated from these blockades, as well as other countries, whether North Korea, Venezuela, there are a host of countries under this particular warfare. They all must free and they all be their freedom. So does the Palestinians. So we're going to end you on this song and a few more revolutionary music with Palestine need his freedom. We'll see you next week. This has been Africa on the Move, Cuba after liberation. We'll see you next week. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice, that's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race and creed, we need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine. Needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine. needs our love.
tiempo a ver qué me da Cuando yo quiero salir a bailar Siempre me protege el ecua Yo llamo a mi lengua buquenque Y él me responde a buquenque Viene que viene mi lengua Con su sabor en su guapa I've been here 
Bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun, pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. Light is clear. Oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it through my journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
can be against us. If that is for my people, I don't know who can try, who can try to be my enemy. My Africa want to be free. Africa, Africa, Africa want to be free.
O-B-A-M-A You ain't fooling everyone, I see the games you play You P-I-P at the B-I-C And we know that's the code name for C-I-A hey, hey. The same way your cameras are watching us, we're watching you Think we're easy to control, you ain't got a clue Revolution's on the way, let's see what you're gonna do You're gonna send the troops, you're gonna drop the news See it's not where you're from, it's where you're at He's sitting in the White House, so who cares if he's black And why is there soldiers still out there in the rack? Puppet, but I'm not surprised Look at Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice They didn't change shit house niggas fresh off the spaceship You all burn in hell, even Michelle Abomination Was the bigger threat from Osama or from Obama? Military bases from Chagos to Okinawa. I say things that other rappers won't say, cause my mind never closed like Guantanamo Bay. Hope you didn't feel the statue or tattoo your arm, cause the drones are still flying over Pakistan. Did he defend the war? No. He extended more, even had the time to attempt to crew in Ecuador. Morales and Chavez, the states are on the hunt for your military now stationed on bases in Colombia. Take a trip to the past and tell them I was right. Ask Ali Abu Nima and Jeremiah Wright. Jones over Pakistan, Yemen and Libya. Is Obama the bomber getting ready for Syria? First black president, the masses were hungry. But the same president just bombed an African country like... The Jonas Brothers are here. They're out there somewhere. Sasha and Malia are huge fans. But uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you. Predator drones. You will never see it coming.
man, black man? Go on and get a catch scan. I had chain wrapped too straight, too tight. We got a backhand. There ain't no Batman in this black land. I wish a rich nigga would come and save the day and pave the way. Ain't no amazing grace. I blaze the haze to remain the faith. 20 years with my medicine, but they want to throw me away for that. Then turn around and legalize it. I wish being black was truly accepted. 400 year elephant in the room. This ain't a new deal. They've been treating us like animals. We're in a zoo still. So let me tell you how I feel. Guilty conscience stumps common sense every day, y'all. Ignore the issues, look at the victim like it's their fault. As if a wagon ain't harassing, waiting for jaywalkers in front of the building, minding your business. News trying to pay your bills as if that wasn't to mention. Conjunction, junction, tell me what's your intention. Don't call them kings and treat them like some common folk. You a fighter like Ronda Rose. Rousey move around the road. Drowsy with a cloud of smoke. How do you do for Maui, bro? Traveling around the globe, you didn't know, but now you know. Early morning rise since my end of alarm kicking, Birdman hand rubs, feeling my palms itching. I need a spiritual thought with top that's top notch. We watch Black Power Docs and study our chakras. Oh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. And we gon' cop a ticket and fly on out of here, fly on out. Oh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the Sunday out, and we gon' cop a ticket and fly on out here, fly on out. Oh dear black man, tell me what happened. You can't be low when your clothes everlasting. Him when your ass been on ass been like a has been. Raising the trap when the god talk math and moves with a max ten. Not that nigga back then, but look now, nigga, I'm established. Cut camera action. I cut lines with my sad card. My bitch is packing. Then I'm cutting in line with a bad boy. They caught him flagging. Then huddle round him with a stat chart. Look, you stay away. Wake up feeling better than I ever been Check out my melanin It's now the makeup for the mannequin That wants to be the same as the slave on the sedative You kill culture, I give knowledge I spit stylish Crane kicks and Balenciagas and speaking science And bodegas that grow flavors was taught language Was taught to talk with the razor from having Spanish neighbors I fought the haters, court cases and lost paper Educated killers walking no ladies cross the street Turn back around, walk across and sell hard to a fee No turning back now, rent you and your kids gotta eat yeah. Black man rooted deep with the blood of a king yeah. Black man roses arose from the cold concrete I eat, walk, talk, gritty Snitches get buck fifty one slice buck fifty, both get cut quickly Until they free Goldie, nobody can fuck Talk with about me Oh, child, don't you ever come, come down You actin' like the sun ain't out We gon' cop a ticket and fly on out of here, fly on out Oh, child, don't you ever come, come down You actin' like the sun ain't out Black became beautiful, then made America great again. See the page in history or see the grave and hate again. I'm from New York, the last state to free the slaves, and now we getting to the point where they rebooting Martin Payne and them. Black man, switch it up, just to be versatile. Why you always mean mugging? Man, it never hurts to smile. Make a record, break a record, get the record straight. I'm just trying to get it going, I'm trying to accelerate. Life alert. Welcome to my world, live and living color, stay low, word to J-Lo, out here with my fly girl, black man, 
black man They give you whack answers They robbing you with Batman They give you Black Panther When all our people dying They think that we need a movie But the box office don't break off The descendants of Huey Think about it I'm cooler than a Coca-Cola polar bear Hold up, roll up something potent Right before we go in there Maroon Customs support that shit that touches the streets Puffing a leaf on a corner that gave me nothing but grief Don't come around my way if your whole message is how much you got If you ain't got no fucking shots then don't touch the fucking rock Lucy still 50 cent, cool what kind of blunts you got You can lock a few niggas for hustling but nothing stops The judge just make the hero and a young black boy lose their fucking pops And go on a robbing spree like fuck the ops Phone out of battery, black mirror, word the Windex King of the table of contents, human index I handle everything myself, the one-man quintet. Let's take it where it hasn't been yet. Dear black man, worth life. One take. Fuck you. I reside on 
on the west side. West side. I murder with my third eye. Nigga so fly, get a bird's eye. I make him scream bloody murder. Let's meet at the White House. Run in and turn the lights out. Man, they treat it like a trap house. These motherfuckers never take the trash out. They just cash out and mash out. Nigga, take your drugs and pass out. Niggas love to go that fast route. I see you when your black ass get out. Homie, you play too much. Why these devils, they doing way too much. Most of them won't say too much. Why they steady planning? God knows what. That's why I roll with the real ones. Real ones, trying to reach millions. Real ones, trying to make billions. Real ones, dressed like civilians. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president, you got the evidence. Arrest the president, arrest the president, arrest the president, you got the evidence.
Yeah. 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 Thank you. 